This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We welcome you this morning to our Sunday morning worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. During the years that God has allowed me to preach the gospel, I have heard quite a few people say something like this. I don't envy anyone of what they have. That is not one of my sins. This morning I want to try to correct that impression, at least for us here at Ocean Lakes and those who are listening by podcast. So we're going to be looking this morning at the sin of envy and seeing what God has to say to us all through His Word, the Bible. Thank you so much for sharing this time of worship with us today. Last Sunday morning, we centered our thoughts around the sin of pride. That's just one of the sins that we find just inflicts our lives in so many ways morning we're going to continue in a little series as we look at another sin. And this is a sin that can ruin reputations, can split churches in two, can cause murders. This sin can shrink your circle of friends. It can ruin your business. It can dwarf your soul. What is this sin? It is the sin of envy. There's a Greek story about a man who killed himself through envy. His fellow citizens had erected a statue to one who was a celebrated champion in the public games. But this other man, a rival of the honored athlete, was so envious, he vowed he would destroy that statue. Every night he went out into the darkness and took his hammer and chisel, cutting away at the base of the statue to undermine its foundation, and ultimately to make it fall. At last, he succeeded. One morning, the people of the town came out and found that the statue had come crashing down. But beneath the ruins of the broken statue was the lifeless, crushed form of his envious rival with a hammer and chisel in his hands. Envy had taken his own life, as the statue had fallen on him. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 31, the first two verses, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and shall wither as the green herb. Three other verses from the book of Proverbs speak about envy. Proverbs 3.31 Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Proverbs 14.30 A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Proverbs 23.17 Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. The Apostle Paul, writing the letter to the Galatians, says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, 
envying one another. Now, what does this word envy really mean? Actually, if you want to look at the word itself, you'll see it's uh, comprised of, of uh, two words. In, that means against, like injustice, against justice. And then the second part of that word is like video, which means to see. And so you put that together in video, and that means to see against. Envy. Self-love, which seeks to keep an exalted place above one's associates, and therefore is unable to bear the excellence or superiority on the part of another. That is envy. When I was a little boy, I remember so vividly that there was one book that caught my attention. And it was a drawing of a little girl who had a weird sort of hairdo. Uh, back in the early days, I remember the one who had the hairdo like that was Phyllis Diller. Some of you remember her. But coming, and this, this little book that I saw, and that little girl had coming out of, from various places in her hair, were lizards, rats, mice, snakes, all sorts of various creatures. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that's true of Phyllis Diller or anybody today, for that matter. I don't know what was in her hair. I don't know what's in the hair of some people today that maybe look like that. Anyway, the sin of envy is somewhat akin to this grotesque picture because in it is the nest, the breeding ground for many other iniquities. For the person who is envious of another, one who seeks self-exaltation so much, that person is usually guilty of jealousy, intolerance, hatred, prejudice. The sin of envy uses certain tools by which the envious person obtains what he wants. For example, what is gossip? Well, you know, gossip is the attempt to lowerate another person in the eyes of an individual or a community, by which, in comparison, the one who gossips falsely believes that their own level is raised. I can raise my level by pushing you down, is the idea. Sarcasm and slander are similar tools of the devil by which the envious person seeks to rise above the level of another. And therefore, envy is a sin, not just of the pagans, the heathen, but it's a sin of the saints. And if you don't believe it, just stand around a group of supposedly good people sometime who are in conversation concerning one among their number who happens not to be present. Some of the most slanderous remarks I've ever heard in my life came from small groups of preachers who were in the corridors of some church, maybe for a convention or a conference, as they passed judgment on a fellow minister with whom there was some disagreement, either theological or maybe otherwise. Envy, of course, is not confined to preachers. The Bible records for us quite a number of victims who fell to the sin of envy. Cain, for example, you remember him, the first book of the Bible. Cain envied Abel because he had found favor with God. Abel had. And Cain murdered Abel. You remember also in the Old Testament the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers were filled with envy toward their younger brother. 
because he was the favored son of their father. In fact, he had received that coat of many colors, as we remember, or more accurately, that would be called a coat with sleeves, which was a symbolic kind of coat that meant one did not have to work as the others were working. And that was true of Joseph. His brothers had to do all the work. And so Joseph's brothers took this dreamer and sold him into slavery. The harm they intended, Joseph, of course, you remember, never came to him. But they did impoverish their own lives. Envy is like a boomerang. It hurts the one who envies more than the one who is envied. All of our Jewish friends know the name Haman. That's the man who envied Mordecai so much that he even had a gallows made whereon they were to hang Mordecai. But the scripture records in Esther chapter 7 verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Moving on to the New Testament, the chief priests around the crucifixion of Jesus were people who were filled with envy over this man who had taken away the attention of the people. And the gospel writer Mark tells us in Mark chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, the words of Pilate. Pilate said, Will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him, and listen to the next two words, for envy. Yes, the sin of envy is not restricted to the poor, the needy, the outcast. The gifted person often falls prey to this sin. A homemaker, or one uh, lady or man who likes to cook far better than anybody else on the street, may not be the target for envy quite so much as the one who is just a little bit ahead of the neighbor in cooking ability. Another example, the person who is the real brain in school may not be envied nearly so much as the one who is just a little bit smarter than you are and proves it. A woman may not envy the most beautiful woman she's ever seen of her good looks, but you put together two people, either, that, either male or female, in which the distance separating them in some quality is very small. And here you have the seedbed for envy. And thus the defenses of the one who envies another are brought up. And we began that process of whittling down the character of another person. So many ways this is done. Uh, one, uh, you heard people say, well, this is good. But, that person can make a nice talk, but have you ever tried to carry on a personal conversation with him or her? Uh, uh, yes, she does have a pretty face, but my dear, have you ever noticed her fingernails? <laughs> Another method of bringing a person low is to question one's motive. Someone does something particularly nice for you, and you muse to yourself, hmm, I wonder what that person wants from me now. Or oh, a person has a new dress or a new outfit, one which would look well on you. And you think, huh, she always tries to make a big impression. I've heard people say in church life, when one becomes very faithful in church and 
doing a lot of things that nobody else will do. I've heard people say, ah, I know what that person's doing. He's running for deacon or elder or steward. He's trying to get an office in the church. Questioning the motive of one. That's, that's uh, another method of trying to bring a person low. Another way we do that is by an unfavorable comparison. Someone does a very wonderful job in something. And you don't, don't, don't like that. You're envious of that person. So you say, well, yeah, he can sing fairly well, but he's nothing compared with George Beverly Shea. <laughs> or their house is all right, but if you really want to see a pretty house, you ought to drive over to Blank Avenue. The Smith's house makes theirs look like a tobacco barn. And on and on it goes. Unfavorable comparison. Envy says, I cannot read, and therefore I wish all the books were burned. I cannot sing as beautifully as I wish I could, and so I guess the choir will have to get along without my faithful service. Or, I cannot teach, I cannot sway people's minds powerfully by my teaching, so I'm not going to even bother to teach a little small class. Lance Webb, a Methodist minister, tells about a mother who was suddenly left with several small children without adequate support. Her husband had died, forced to work long hours, taxing her physical endurance to the limit. She began to resent the whole situation she was living in now. She loved her children. She could not blame her husband, who had done the best he could. But why did this have to happen to her? Friends were kind at first when he died, but as the months rolled by, they left her out of their plans. Anyhow, she could not afford to do the things most of them did. And who wanted an extra woman around when everybody had her man or his woman? And added to this was her deep-seated envy of them and of their happiness. There was no particular person for her to hate, but she had a store of resentment which had sapped the strength she so desperately needed. This woman resented the loneliness, the hard work, the thoughtlessness of her children, the carelessness and the happiness of her friends. She wanted to be appreciated. She wanted to be loved and understood. And she was bitter because she could not have it. One day she could stand it no longer. She went to her doctor. He diagnosed her situation. He said, I know what your problem is. High blood pressure. The beginning of a serious heart condition. But not only being a good doctor, but also this man was a man of a spiritual insight. And so her physician told her, my dear, there's only one hope for you to get well. You've got to quit fighting your situation. Learn to accept it and make the most of it. The Apostle Paul found this truth in his own life as he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. <clears throat> Philippians 4.11 Among psychiatrists, Self-acceptance is universally recognized as a principle of spiritual and mental health. Psychiatry can give the person the prescription 
needed to combat envy, but only the love of God can fill that prescription. Well, how do we get rid of envy? Well, we cannot rid ourselves of envy by trying to push it out of our minds or not by swallowing a pill or by taking an injection in the arm. We get rid of envy by the work of God's Holy Spirit within us. The root of our envy is cut when we see ourselves as we actually are in the eyes of God. Then we have no need to prove our superiority to anybody, for we know that we have already been accepted. We are loved by God, and He is the one who really counts. I've been told that there are some insects that insert their eggs into the bodies of others. And at first, this act seems to be comparatively harmless. But that inserted life begins to develop, and it begins to feed upon the body in which it dwells. It matures and strengthens itself by the entire destruction of its host. And so is envy when it begins within our hearts only by knowing God's love and by responding to that love can we effectively rid ourselves of the seeds of envy. As you look at your life today and as you take a close examination, is it possible that envy has robbed you of some of the joy God wants you to have in your life? No one can decide that for you, but as you look within, God's Holy Spirit will reveal that if that's present in your life. As you confess that to God and ask for His help, He will rid you of this sin of envy. Oh God, thank you so much that you care for us. Thank you that you love us and we don't have to prove our worthiness or superiority to anybody because you've already said, you love me. We know that song, but we learn as a child, Jesus loves me, this I know. Lord, help us, everyone right now who's listening to my voice to say, yes, God, thank you for your love. I want to love you in return. Through Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.